2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 4. I haven't taken the time to say it, but we're thankful for the Frizzells being here. And I haven't called on him because he's been in a little bit of a, a recovery mode from some physical problems, but we're going to have him. He's going to be preaching here a few services, so we're going to have that. I promise you're going to get to hear him. We're glad that they're here. I love Brother and Sister Frizzell, and I love the work of God that they have done in a very difficult part of the world. We've had an opportunity to be a very small part of that, and I am very thankful for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Verse 3 giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Verse number four. But in all things, everybody say that with me, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, everybody say much patience, you're going to need it if you're going to make it. Much patience. And that doesn't mean something to do with your nerves. That's speaking about endurance. Amen. Endurance. Much endurance. In afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. And then he, he gives the counterside of that negative experience. All those nine things that he's just mentioned. He now gives you nine things that you can rely on that will help you whatever you're going through. And that's not my message, but it's a good message. He said, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. If you want to know how to counterbalance the negative things of life, Paul just gave them to you in a nutshell. There's nine negative things that he mentioned and he gave you nine things that you can count on that if you'll learn how to live in that, it'll help you get through this. That's not even my message, but that's a pretty good idea that you need to get a hold of. That God doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God what you're going through. God has a remedy for it. And if you'll walk with God and you'll listen and you'll get in the word of God, you'll find that there's an answer for whatever you're going through. Right. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. 
It is so good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. When we started service, I was a bit worried, but I'm glad you're here. Amen. And we are so thankful to welcome uh, the Kennedy family to our church. Amen. We're happy to have uh, them. They have moved from New York, and we're thankful that they have chosen Greater Life Church, and we're glad uh, going to be a great time. I believe that together. I, I'm thankful that they're here tonight. I, I hope that you will let me talk to you for a few moments uh, from my heart, something that has been uh, eating away, I not, shouldn't say eating away, but stirring my thoughts for quite some time. And I want to try to help somebody here tonight. Not that I'm a smart person or I have all the answers, but I have found the Word of God to be a great resource. And I, it, it's a living Word, and I keep telling people that. Some people say, Brother Hughes, I never had seen that before. And that, that's the power of the Word of God. I don't care how many times you've read it. I don't care how many times you've heard somebody preach from it. I don't care how many times that verse has been used as a text. Every time it is read or every time it is heard, it has the power to do something at that moment that it didn't do prior because it's a living word. And that word is not static. It's not something from another generation or another time. It's not just black and white letters in a book, but it is a living, thriving word. Uh, organism so to speak and when that word is spoken or preached or read and especially when it is it is taken hold of and a man or a woman believes that that word is alive and it's quick the bible said it is quick that means it has the speed faster than light now light moves at how many feet per second I don't even know. It's more than my mind can grasp, but it gets here before you can blink an eye. And the word's quicker than that. That's pretty fast. And the word not only is quick, but it's sharp. As a matter of Paul said it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it pierces even to the dividing asunder. The word of God knows how to dissect my life and not hurt me in the process. You know, there's a lot of surgeons in this world that are just, they're, they're, they gut people like fishermen gut fish, and they leave a lot of damage behind. And there's a lot of things that people have to deal with in their life because of some poor surgery that some, but God's words never, God doesn't dice and slice. Now, I know there's a lot of preachers that act like that, and they use the word of God, but the word of God is not that way. It is not a sword to cut you to shreds and leave you with holes everywhere, but it is a word that is so powerful and precise that it can pinpoint that one area of your life in which you need the help and go right there and help you. Amen. Uh, remember when Celicia was going through uh, recovery from her brain hemorrhage and they, they did a, 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 a very special kind of treatment. It was almost like a chemo-type treatment. But they put this halo on her head. They put screws in her skull and put this halo. 
And then this machine would go around in a circle and it would pinpoint right to the very precise point in her brain that they needed to get to to cauterize that bleed or to help cause that to, to shrink and, 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 and allow there to be recovery. And they could let that, it was called linear radiation, I believe, and it would go directly in every area, every point that that beam of x-ray would go in, it would go right to that one point. That's the word of God. He knows how to get around all of the stuff that we sometimes get hung up on and get right to the heart of where we are. That's the power of the word of God. And it discerns between the bone and the marrow of the bone. And discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. My Lord, what else would you want but the word of God? That's the word. That's, that's not even my message tonight. But that's, that's the power of the word of God. That's why you should never treat the word of God lightly. And you should never say, oh God, do I have to go to church tonight? You ought to say, Lord, thank you for the opportunity. I'm going to hear the word of God. You're not going to hear a fable. You're not going to hear some little story. I'm not going to come here with a self-help remedy. I'm going to give you the word of God. Whoever else's preacher is going to give you that too. If they don't, we're not going to let them preach. Amen. So I want to help somebody. Because there are times that we all feel like that if we had done things differently, we might not be going through what we're going through right now. Anybody ever felt like you, if you hadn't made that decision, you wouldn't be having to deal with some of the stuff you're dealing with right now? And I think all of us go through life at times looking at the things that happen to us. And we take the things that happen to us and they make us question our walk with God. They make us question whether or not we made right choices. Or it's, I've, I've heard people say, well, Brother Hughes, maybe if I had prayed more. Or maybe if I had fasted more or if I had sought more counsel, we're trying to find an answer or a reason why we are going through what we're going through. And I've come tonight to tell you that there are things about life that have nothing to do with whether you pray or you don't pray. Whether you read your Bible or you don't read your Bible. There are issues that you are going to deal with in life and in living that come to everybody in this building. Now I know that goes against all of you spiritual folks that believe that uh, differently. Than, but I'm here to tell you that life, it, 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 it's a a feel in which there are some things, no matter how much you pray and no matter how much you talk in tongues and read your Bible, it will not insulate you from experiencing these things in your life. And there's a reason for that. Now, Paul, I love the apostle Paul because Paul, in all of his writing, although the book of Romans is considered one of the deepest books in the word of God and it deals with some very deep issues. The bulk of Paul's writing is very practical. It is very down to earth, matter of fact. 
the things that, that you deal with on a daily basis. And when you read Paul, you're not reading some ecclesiastical jargon, but you're reading a, a, an everyday gospel. You're reading words that will help you get through the issues that you're going through right now in your life. And so when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and, and dealing with some of the issues that were going on there, it was important to him that people, that, that when they looked at him, they saw a true, authentic believer. And that when they looked at Paul in his life, they saw someone who genuinely reflected the message of Jesus Christ. And so in this particular chapter, he is talking to us about the behavior of a believer, the behavior of a man or a woman who has been born again and acting and living like a child of God, no matter what the circumstances may be in your life. And so he, he, he's talking about this authentic living and he says that, it, but that in all things, I want to be approved. I, I want God to say, yes, that, that's what, that's what I intended for Christianity to look like. That's what being born again, that's what being spirit-led and spirit-filled should look like and it's what should be reflected. One of the greatest obstacles, listen to me very carefully, one of the greatest obstacles to the progress of the gospel is not our doctrine. And it is not our standard of holiness or our separation. One of the greatest obstacles to Christianity and the gospel is bad examples. Or bad examples, maybe that's better English. People who call themselves Christian or children of God or born again believers or however you wanna put the title, but their life does not reflect their message. That is a greater hindrance to people than our doctrine. They, they may not understand our doctrine, but if you will teach them, they will understand and receive it. But they cannot get over the way that I live on a day-by-day -day basis. And of all things that possessed Paul, Paul wanted to live every day so that when people looked at his life, they could find no reason to stumble. They could find no fault in the gospel that what they saw in his life and they heard from the word of God, those two things mesh. And there was a unity about what they heard and what they saw. And so there was no stumbling blocks for them to say had caused them to trip up. And so in 2 Corinthians 8 or 6, Paul mentions nine trials that, that had come to him. And I believe in, in, in truth, they come to everybody. There, there are nine things that he mentions here. There are three that are uh, inward. There are three that are outward. And there are three of them that we many times produce ourselves. And when we look at them, there are some things about what Paul wrote and he endured that we in our personal life have, had, have never had to go through. I've never been in prison for the gospel. 
I've, I've never been beaten with stripes. I've never been persecuted in that fashion. I, I, I've never had to deal with some of the issues that Paul uh, dealt with and some of the pressure that he was under. And there are some trials and there are some issues of suffering that I have never had to go through in my life. But there is one thing that Paul mentioned in verse 4 that everybody in this building is going to deal with in life and in trying to live a, a life that is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that one thing that Paul mentioned are necessities. Everybody say necessities. Now please don't check out on me. I, I, I've got something for somebody tonight. Necessities. When Paul looked at life, he did not include just the trials and tribulation and adversities and pressure, but he also factored into the spiritual experience the everyday necessities of life. And by that, I mean not the necessary things that we think of that are needed for living like food and water and air and sleep and all of That's not what he was talking about when he spoke about necessities. He, we, we know the difference between luxuries and, and necessities, but that's not what he was talking about. What he was referring to were the experiences in life that nobody escapes. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what your background, no matter what your pedigree, no matter anything, you are going to face these things in your life. And he calls them necessities. And it was in such experiences, these necessities, that Paul said, I want to be approved. Now, I, I want God to approve of my life when I go through times of suffering. And I want God to approve of my life when, when I go through times of rejection and, and I go through pressure-filled moments. But he said, what I really want God to be, a, 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 I want his approval on in my life are these everyday things, these issues that come no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter how spiritual you are, you are going to deal with these things. And he said, those are the things that I want to show forth the love of God and I want to be approved. I want to show myself a Christian in such times as these. And he determines that in these necessities of life, that he would reveal his faith and his joy, not amid the pleasantries of life, but amid the inescapable elements of life. And that's what the necessities are. The inescapable necessities of life. The things that you can live for God uh, for a long, long time, but you're never going to outlive these things. You're, you're never going to reach a place in your life where you're not going to have to go through some of these things. And so when I got to looking at that and I got to thinking about, Lord, what are the things that no one escapes in life? And the Lord took me back to his own life and he took me especially to a time when he went to Jerusalem and the experience in Gethsemane 
and all that transpired there and ultimately to the cross and to the grave and then the resurrection. And the Lord began to, to show me that there were, I, I, I saw four and you may see more and there probably are, but there were four things that stood out to me that I would consider them necessities. They are the inescapable things of life that you can pray and fast and believe and walk and trust, but you're not going to get by without these experiences. Number one is that there is a Jerusalem for everybody to visit in their life. Everybody, and you said, Brother Hughes, what do you mean by that? I mean everybody is going to have a city that they're going to have to go to and go through in their life where nobody in that city likes you or wants to hear from you or hear what you have to say. And there are people that are not, it doesn't matter if you Kissed up to them from now till Jesus come. They still aren't going to like you. Get over it. He had to go to Jerusalem. That was part of his divine purpose. He could not accomplish what he had come to do without going through Jerusalem. But every time he went to Jerusalem, everything that could be done to undermine what he did and said was being done by many of the so-called religious people. And so Jerusalem is everything that challenges your authenticity as a child of God. Everything that challenges who you say you are. You're not going to get through life without having to deal with that sometimes on a daily, if not a daily, at least on a regular basis. There are going to be things that are going to challenge the authenticity of who you are. Problems on the job. Problems with people. It will try everything that you say and believe and everything you believe and you, you say that you are. Everything that Jesus said, it seemed like was contradicted in Jerusalem. And there's not a person in this building that's not going to go through life and have to go through a Jerusalem where Everything around you is going to contradict what you say you are, who you say you are, what you stand for. That doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. That doesn't mean that you've missed something in life and that you, you, you didn't hear God correctly or you weren't being led of the Lord and, and so you're in this mess. What it means is that that's a necessity. That's an essential inescapable element of life and you have to learn how to live with and through your Jerusalem. Whatever that Jerusalem. You have to live and learn how to live in those things that represent everything that works against what you say you are. Everything that works against who you are. And yet amid all of the contradictions in Jerusalem, he continued to be who he always was, Jesus. 
And he even did miracles in Jerusalem. Even though there were people there that did not believe. And if they don't believe, they don't deserve as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if people say they don't believe what you're saying, why waste your time and energy? But you see, his purpose was so focused and he so much understood who he was and what he was there for that when he went through Jerusalem, he didn't let Jerusalem change him. He didn't let Jerusalem make him bitter. He didn't make Jerusalem lose his sense of purpose or who he was or make him begin to question his identity. He didn't let Jerusalem take away from him what he had been called to do. He just understood if you're going to get to where you need to go, you're going to have to go through a Jerusalem in your life. And you may have to go through it more than one time. That doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Doesn't mean you don't pray enough. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual. It's just what Paul said, a necessity. And Paul said, that's where I want God when he looks at me to say, that's my son. That's my daughter. They're living what I said to live. They're doing what the word says they ought to do. That in spite of everything that says they ought to be discouraged, they just keep on going anyway. Amen. There's a Jerusalem for everyone to face. Not only that, but in that context, there are bitter things that you're going to experience in life and I don't care who you are, you're not going to get by without swallowing something from that cup. Things that are distasteful, things that are hard to swallow, things that when you look at it, you say, I don't deserve this. I, I don't have to do this. I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to bear this I don't have to be a, an example in this oh yes you do and you have to drink the bitter cup you have to drink things in life sufferings that do not pass away there's no escape you just have to live through it there are thorns in the flesh a messenger of Satan to buffet you they are hindering influences and powers and services and they are there to try to stop you and there will be present in your life to the very end things that you're going to have to drink in life that you do not deserve. But it's just part and parcel of God's divine purpose for your life. It was in such circumstances as those that Paul wanted to show himself approved. He was determined. I want to be courageous. I want to be faithful. I want to be free from bitterness. I want to be approved in the necessities of life. I know a lot of people that have let life embitter them because of what they've had to drink or swallow in life. And I don't mean literally. I mean spiritually, what they've had to go through, things that don't make sense, things that when you look at the scale of life, you're thinking, God, why would you let that happen to the person that they're conscientious and they, they pray, they, they're sincere, they, they, they're faithful, 
and, and, and all of these things seem to be going wrong. And here's this reprobate out here. He drinks and cusses and carries on and carouses. And he doesn't seem to have one problem whatsoever. There's some things about life that just don't make sense. How God could let somebody like that continue to prosper and you're just struggling to pay your bills tonight. If you're not careful, you can look around and you can let that stuff embitter you. You can look around and see people that are, that, oh man, why is their family blessed and mine seems to be so cursed? Everybody has a cup to have to drink from that's not always like we want it. But if you learn how to drink it, it will lead you to something better. That's the second inescapable thing. The third inescapable thing that he showed me about his experience in Jerusalem was the area of temptation. Everybody say temptation. One of the necessities of life that we cannot escape. We may escape poverty. We may escape a bad upbringing. We may escape bad choices. We may escape disease. We may escape imprisonment. We may escape stripes. We may escape these slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. But no man, no man and no woman escapes the onset, or the onset of temptation. Everybody is going to be tempted in some way. You're not too young for it and you're not too old for it. It follows you to church, it follows you to work, it follows you to play, it follows you in relationships, temptation. What kind of temptation? The temptation to do it your way instead of God's way. The temptation to say enough of this. The temptation to try some shortcut. And there's a lot of them out there. Oh, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this than what I'm doing. And so there's this appealing shortcut. If you do this, you won't have to go through that. That's a lie. That's a lie. You do that, you're still going to go through this. It's just going to be 10 times worse when you do it that way. Nobody gets through life. These are necessities. These are things that you're not going to outsmart, outwit, outrun. You're not going to get by without dealing with them. And you're going to have to learn that every man, every woman, every boy, at some point in your life, you're going to feel like cutting and running. You're going to feel like, I, I can't handle this anymore. I can't stand this pressure. And you're going to want to throw in the towel and tuck and run somewhere else. Everybody, everybody, you're going to be tempted to quit. The greatest temptation that Jesus faced was not in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting and prayer. Now, some people might argue that, but I'm telling you, I, I know what, I mean, I, I know what a day of fasting does to me. I can only imagine what 40 days of fasting would do to me. I think I'd be pretty weakened. I, I don't think I'd be very strong. I, I, I'm just wondering if, but when he was in that moment 
and he was so vulnerable. You talk about weak, and the devil knows how to appeal to you when you're vulnerable. He knows how to come and make those suggestions. You know, you could fix this. Just turn that stone into bread. Nobody would know. You'd survive. You'd get through this. You wouldn't die. You're not going to die anyway. I said, you're not going to die anyway. You're not going to die till God says it's time for you to die. Until God puts the period you're not going to die. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what people say. Until God says it's over, it ain't over, folks. But the temptation was when he was most vulnerable. That's when the enemy started working on him. And he appealed to everything that Jesus wanted and needed and desired at that moment. But that wasn't the greatest moment of temptation. The greatest moment of temptation was when he hung on Calvary and they came by, all of these people that he had been reaching for for three and a half years, all of these people that he had been preaching the gospel, every one of them he had been trying to convince of who he was, they said, if you will come down, we will believe you. That's a lie too. You come down, they're still not going to believe what you stand for. You might as well keep hanging on. Because if you hang on, the outcome is going to be a whole lot better than giving up will. Amen. There is a temptation to turn back because it's just too hard a journey. Amen. And then last, the unavoidable necessity of life is a cross. Everybody has a cross to bear. And your cross is not your spouse. And it's not your children, nor a relative, nor a boss. Your cross is not a person. Your cross is whatever God knows is necessary to keep you humble. And keep you in a relationship with him where he is Lord and you are servant. And every person in this auditorium tonight has a cross to bear. Something that gets heavy at times. And you wonder, if I, if, I don't think I can, I, I don't know if I can bear up under this. Everybody has a cross to bear. Everybody has one. And they're not easy, and they are by no means to be clamored for, but they are there. It's part of your development as a child of God. It's part of learning obedience. That's what Paul said. He learned obedience. What? Through the things he Endured, despising the shame. He took the cross. Read in Hebrews 12 what he said. He took all of that and he bore it without caving into it because he knew that to get where he needed to go, 
This was part of the story. And for you to get where you need to go and for me to get where I need to go, God has orchestrated and God has designed that there is a cross that I am going to have to bear that's going to help develop me and help bring out the best in me. Amen. My, how can you, how can you not understand that when he's hanging there and, and everybody's passing by and they're railing and they're mocking and they're ridiculing and they're throwing accusations, he could say, Father, scorch them. They don't deserve to live. He said, Father, what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He did that on a cross, folks. He didn't do it from his couch. He didn't do it while he's sitting behind his computer typing out his daily devotional. He did it when everything in him was being torn and things were falling and pulling. He was dying a slow and miserable death. And yet in the midst of it all, he said, Father, forgive them. To a penitent thief, he said, this day, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? That same one could say at the end of it all, it is finished, complete, done. The victory has been won. Is there any finer victory than that to take up his cross and not quarrel with God about it? Why I have to go through all this? Is what what finer victory? What what greater testimony of a child of God is there for a person to just take up their cross and follow him? What a greater witness. And that's what Paul was after. He said, you know, there's a lot of things that you're not going to have to go through. There, you may not have to be thrown in prison. You, you may not be uh, ostracized by your countrymen. You, you may not be lied on or cheated, but you are going to go through some necessities in life. And you need to learn how to show yourself approved. You need to learn how to show the world a light in the midst of that darkness that will outshine all of the darkness. Of all the times people need to see you living as a child of God, it's when nothing is going right. All the time they need to see you faithful, it's when everything is against you. You have to live to die, and you have to die to live with him. Amen. Death is unavoidable, and all of us are going to go through some dying places. It's a spiritual principle. Except the grain of wheat fall into the ground and die. It remaineth alone. It's one. But if it die, one seed can produce a minimum of eight stalks of corn. 
and on a stalk of corn, there are how many kernels that become seeds? One death can produce that kind of harvest. So you know what I'm trying to learn? I'm trying to learn how to die gracefully. I'm trying to learn how to take up my cross and follow him and quit complaining and mumbling and grumbling and whining like I sometimes do. I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying me. I'm trying to learn how to live with those necessities that no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter how much you read your Bible, you're still going to go through it. You're still going to have to deal with it. It doesn't mean that your walk with God's in question. It doesn't mean that you're backslidden. It doesn't mean that you haven't heard from God. It's just part of bringing you to the place that you need to be as a child of God. Take up your cross and follow him. You're not going to get through life without dying. Amen. You're not going to get through life without going through some dying places. But if you will. That one that dies does not abide alone. Oh, thank God. Somebody's already been there. Amen. And he showed me that you can live beyond that death. You, there, there's a resurrection life. There's a resurrected life. My, oh, I wish, I, I hope I'm getting through to somebody here tonight. Somebody that came into this place questioning your walk with God or questioning whether you made right choices back somewhere. Some of the things that you are going through right now are just necessities. They're unavoidable. They're inescapable. Amen. Paul said, that's where I want to shine. That's where I want everybody to know that's a child of God in those inescapable elements of life. Let's stand together. Praise God.